Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 475 for January 10th, 2016. This week, if you connect to the internet using a public Wi-Fi hotspot, you're exposing yourself to a significant risk. While trying to find a way to reduce that risk, I found a way to make Wi-Fi connections completely secure. In short circuits, we'll take a look at malware that can shut down electric generating systems, consider talking to your Volvo automobile, and compare the Oculus Rift to Microsoft's HoloLens. In spare parts, only on the website, it's January, so the Consumer Electronics Show has been running in Las Vegas. Free Wi-Fi is available just about everywhere. Public libraries, restaurants, hotels, and even some stores offer it. It's a big draw, and it's an inexpensive feature to set up an offer. All that's needed is an internet connection and a wireless router. But if you use public Wi-Fi systems without protection, the cost of that free service could be exceedingly high. A thief sitting nearby can monitor the network traffic of an entire store with a device that's no larger than a pack of cards. The simple fact that most people don't understand the threat makes public Wi-Fi networks very attractive targets. One of the most common tricks that thieves use is setting up their own Wi-Fi service that can then be used to trick people into connecting to it instead of the store's system. The crook passes all the information through to the store's network, so users think they're connected to it. If you're using a web browser to connect through Wi-Fi, start by making sure you see a lock indicator in the address bar. That means the browser is using the secure protocol, HTTPS, instead of the open protocol, which is HTTP. But that works only with browsers. If you're using an email client or some other kind of application, everything will be sent in plain text unless the application itself offers some sort of internal encryption. Even applications that do offer encryption still may send the username and password in the clear before switching to an encrypted connection. Needless to say, that's not really very secure. A virtual private network, or VPN, can be used to encrypt everything. The VPN protects all data, even if a website doesn't offer HTTPS, and even for applications that have no built-in encryption functions. A VPN service adds an encryption layer between your computer and the Internet by routing your encrypted communications through a server operated by the VPN company. For this reason, you won't find very many free VPN services, and you'll find that the cheap VPN services are almost unusably slow. They also might display advertisements that you don't want. One of the best descriptions I've seen to explain VPN compares it to how you might fool somebody who's trying to follow you. Instead of driving from your home to your destination, you drive to a closed parking garage, switch cars, and drive out the back entrance. Then the person who's following you won't know where you went. Although several VPN services exist, one of the best seems to be private internet access. For $7 a month, you have access to more than 3,000 servers in 35 regions of 24 countries. 
or you can pay annually $40, or if you want to spend $60, you get two years' worth of service. The company also offers simultaneous connections for up to five devices. A user can install the application on any number of devices, as long as no more than five are online and active at any given time. I confirmed this interpretation of the operating rules with the company's Jonathan Rodier, and I'm surprised that the license is this open. So perhaps you're wondering if this threat is real or if it's just marketing. It's not unreasonable to wonder if there is a real threat or if it's just a marketing ploy. If you want to see how easy it is to intercept data, though, search for applications such as FaceNiff, FireSheep, Ethereal, or Wireshark. You'll find the names on the TechBiter Worldwide website, then use a search engine to find them. Download one, and then you can start snooping. Now, of course, this is illegal in some areas, but criminals don't pay much attention to laws like this. And because they're all but invisible, it's unlikely that they'll ever be caught. So the process may be easy, but how likely is it to happen? If you're using a Wi-Fi at a small suburban library, chances are probably pretty small. If you're in an airport or other location where a lot of people who are in a hurry and are probably not thinking about security gather, the odds are no longer in your favor. Given the modest cost of a VPN application, should you ever use a portable device on a public Wi-Fi system without one? My advice would be not to take that risk. You might also want to consider installing a VPN on your desktop computer, even though it never goes near a Wi-Fi hotspot. That's because there are other advantages provided by a VPN connection. Some websites block access based on the user's IP address. So if you travel abroad, you might be in a country that uses censorship filters. Streaming media websites often block users based on their geographic location. VPN software allows you to bypass those restrictions. And on a more mundane basis, a VPN eliminates many of the techniques used by marketers to monitor your online activities. During the process of writing this report, I decided to sign up for a private Internet access account. That $40 fee covers a desktop computer, a notebook computer, a tablet, and two Android devices. When you start the VPN application, you can allow it to choose the location it connects to or select your own. I use the automatic connection option. That means private Internet access picks one for me. And if I need my connection to appear to be originating from a specific country, I can just select it from the list. There's a seven-day money-back guarantee. And after purchasing a license, you can download a special installer. The installer is good for only 48 hours. Using that installer eliminates the need to fill in your username and password. Installing it later will require a generic installer, and you will have to fill in your username and password. That's also true if you install the application on an Apple or Android phone or tablet. Download the app from the appropriate store, install it, and fill in your credentials. Either way, the installation is quick and easy. In fact, within 30 minutes of when I downloaded the Windows installer, I had the application running on a desktop system, a notebook, the Surface tablet, an Android phone, and an Android tablet. Installing on the Android devices did require that I manually enter the username and password before running it the first time, but then it remembers your login credentials for future use. By default, the application does not start when the device boots. On Windows devices, there are two settings to modify, Start Application at Logon, and Auto Connect when app is started. You can specify a location to use when connecting, or allow the application to choose the fastest current location. On Android devices, you'll change just a single setting to enable connection at boot time. 
You'll see a couple of images on the TechBiter Worldwide website that illustrate running a traceroute command from the command line. It shows some of the information that would be visible. The key point is that I can see the address that my internet service provider has given me. That number can be used to identify numerous other bits of information. With private internet access running, you don't see the IP address that your ISP has assigned. Two other images show the kind of difference that makes. Using a service that identifies IP addresses, it's called What Is My IP Address? You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I retrieved some of my information that could be discerned from that IP address. My location is shown as Columbus, and my ISP is shown as Wide Open West. Private Internet Access selected a server in Matawan, New Jersey, and from there it's possible to drill down a bit. You'll see latitude and longitude numbers shown to indicate my address, so you might be wondering just how close the reported latitude and longitude are to my exact location. If I don't have private internet access running, it's off by about 1.5 miles. The postal code is close too, but not quite the right one. With the VPN tunnel, my reported location is about 460 miles east of where I'm actually located. And the postal zone, of course, is completely wrong. I had set up my email client to be secure, sending messages on an encrypted connection using port 465. But with private internet access enabled, the connection failed. Now, that seems reasonable because the email client was attempting to encrypt an already encrypted connection. Or maybe it was the other way around with PIA trying to encrypt an already encrypted connection. Either way, because I'm using a VPN and the connection is encrypted, it's no longer essential for the email client to establish its own secure TLS connection. When I set the connection to use an unencrypted protocol, everything worked normally. Next thing you're probably wondering about is does the service cause your connection to be slower? I've run tests with private internet access enabled and with it disabled. The differences are within the range of normal speed fluctuations. In the case illustrated on the TechBiter Worldwide website, the connection without the VPN is slightly faster than the connection with it running. However, I've also run tests where the opposite was true. The connection through the VPN tunnel is actually a little better than the straight connection. Overall, given the security that the VPN provides, being without one, at least when you're trying to connect to a public Wi-Fi hotspot, just seems illogical. The bottom line for private internet access is five cats. No portable device should ever be without a VPN application. Although I started writing this account to describe actions that could be taken to make a public Wi-Fi system less risky, I repeatedly encountered excellent reviews of private internet access. Knowing that VPN technology eliminates the need for halfway measures, I started looking at that application, installed it, and tested it. I now understand why the reviews are so good. If you ever use a public Wi-Fi hotspot, or even if you just value privacy on the Internet, this is a worthwhile application to have. The price is reasonable. Additional details are available on the Private Internet Access website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, the U.S. power grid is generally acknowledged to be vulnerable to certain types of attacks by hackers. According to CyberX Labs, this kind of attack has already been used in Europe. 
CyberX is less than two years old. It was founded by Omar Schneidler and Nir Giller after they had served in the Israeli military. The company says it believes weaponized malware called Black Energy was used in an attack against Ukraine Power Company. The attack was launched during Ukraine's elections late in 2015. It is also suspected as the cause of a power cut in Crimea on the 23rd of December. Another security company, ESET, says the power outages were not isolated incidents and that other Ukrainian energy companies have also been attacked. ESET claims to have been observing instances of black energy for some time. CyberX Labs says that black energy was planted months ahead of the Ukrainian elections and that an article by CyberX in the May 2015 issue of Dark Reading warned that there might be more undiscovered black energy components. The report described the theft of data from ICS networks and notes that another attack on the Ukraine media industry is considered an example of this type of large-scale operation. Now, this isn't a new threat. Black Energy has been around since 2008. That's five years before CyberX was even formed. The Computer Emergency Response Team, part of Homeland Security, warned about it in 2014. The malware can be highly destructive. Research by CyberX on the Ukrainian attack has produced additional information describing how the malware can format hard drives. CyberX says it believes that it has derived information about how the malware works, but has not yet authorized it for publication because the company is in the process of disclosing that information to utilities, probably along with a sales pitch for their services. Additional research involves security firms such as ESET and Kaspersky. Damage estimates from attacks to date exceed hundreds of millions of dollars. The source of the attacks is generally believed to be Russia. You might find Microsoft inside your Volvo. There's a very old joke about three engineers in a car. The car's having mechanical problems. One of the engineers works for Microsoft. Two of the engineers suggest typical common sense engineering solutions to the problem. The Microsoft engineer, of course, suggests shutting the car off and starting it again. Everybody laughs. Well, that could be one intro to this account. Another might be for people old enough to remember Knight Rider on television three decades ago. In the show, David Hasselhoff talked to his car, Kit. Well, that's nothing new. I talk to my car. Maybe you do, too. The car doesn't do anything, though. Well, it doesn't unless it's a recent model that does include some speech recognition software. Now, Microsoft is getting into the game with Volvo. Wear a Microsoft Band 2, and you'll be able to talk to your car from a distance. But that's not all. The watch-like device also tracks your heart rate, exercise, calories burned, and sleep quality. It includes 11 sensors that record personal information, and delivers it to other devices, Microsoft, Apple, and Android. Users will be able to tell their car to set up navigation, start the heater, lock the doors, flash the lights, or sound the horn. That might be helpful in a large parking lot where you've forgotten exactly where you park, speak into your watch, and say, Hey car, where are you? Volvo and Microsoft have announced plans to incorporate HoloLens technology into the project, HoloLens is a wireless holographic computer that Microsoft says could be used to redefine how customers first encounter, explore, and even buy cars. You don't wear it while you're driving, though. 
Volvo Vice President Thomas Mueller says that Volvo wants to make the car experience easy and convenient by using technology in relevant and inspiring ways. With voice control, he says, we're only just beginning to scratch the surface of what is possible with digital assistant functionalities. Launched in 2001, Volvo On Call became one of the first car-based telematics systems intended to provide safety, security, and tracking services in case of accident, breakdown, or theft. The latest version of Volvo On Call still provides all those original safety functions, as well as a broad range of car and service-related functionality. The new options will be available on cars starting in the spring of this year. There's a video provided by Microsoft and Volvo on the TechBiter Worldwide website showing how all this works. Oculus Rift has beaten the Microsoft HoloLens to the market. Now, unquestionably, Microsoft's HoloLens is the technology to beat when it comes to virtual reality. The HoloLens is available only for organizations such as the National Aeronautics and Space Agency right now. The Oculus Rift is available for everybody for pre-order, but it won't actually be in your hands or on your head until March. Does this mean it's beaten Microsoft to the marketplace? Probably. Oculus Rift will be available in 20 countries near the end of March, and it'll include a headset, a sensor, and an Xbox One controller. If you buy one, make sure you have hardware that meets minimal specifications, a graphics card such as the NVIDIA GTX 970 or AMD R9 290, an Intel i5-4590 CPU, no less than 8 gigabytes of RAM, HDMI 1.3 video, three USB 3.0 ports, and at least one USB 2.0 port. And you want a 64-bit version of Windows, Windows 7, with SP1 or later. Hmm. You can sure bet the pornographers will be ready to capitalize on this. And speaking of capitalizing in spare parts, only on the website, it is January. The Consumer Electronics Show is running in Las Vegas, and we'll take a look. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.